Welcome to the five things this week in social. We're the Webby award-winning podcast that finds the top stories in social and narrows it down to just five so that you can sound smart when you're asked a question and don't have ChatGPT to answer it for you. If you're a marketer, an advertiser, or a creator, then this is the podcast for you. Today on the pod, our friend from Tank New York, Natalie McGee is here. And new to the pod is Gray's Chief Strategy Officer for Health and Wellness, Ankit Vahia. Hello, Natalie. Hello, Joey. Okay, so there's a lot of talk about AI, outer space, and Star Wars Day just passed. So I have to know, are you a Star Wars person or a Star Trek person? And if so, who's your favorite character? Solid Star Wars. And I have to say, I'm a big C-3PO fan. Love C-3PO. He might be a little out there, but he's funny to me. I like him. Yeah, we love C-3PO. We love the droids. All right. Hello, Ankit. Same question for you. Hey, everybody. For me, actually, I would say Star Trek. When I was a little, little youngin growing up in India, my uncle would visit from the States with uh, VCR videotapes of Star Trek episodes that he would record when he lived in the States. So I grew up thinking Gene Roddenberry and Kirk is someone everyone knows about. My, my favorite character, though, is I think Jean-Luc Picard from The Next Generation. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So you choose live long or prosper over the All force days. any day. Well, I'm Joey Scarillo and I am 100% Star Wars. And my favorite character is, of course, Baby Yoda, Little Grogu, 100% all day, hard to deny, big fan. Okay, let's get into the five things. First up, Natalie has a big story with the FTC's crackdown on Meta against monetizing from children. Then Ankit tells us how AI is influencing healthcare. Next, Natalie explains how Meta is doubling down on AI recommendations. Then Ankit has an interesting look at the importance of social connections in fighting the epidemic of loneliness. And finally, Natalie asks the question, are blue skies ahead for blue sky? Okay, let's get right into it, Natalie. You're up first. FTC crackdown on Meta. Let's talk about it. The FTC is cracking down on Meta. It's alleged that platforms have violated ordinances and privacy rules relating to users 18 and under and the platform's ability to monetize data from those users. In a 2020 ordinance, the FTC installed a third-party assessor to kind of review Meta's practices and determine if Meta was adhering to these privacy rules. The FTC is getting a little more serious on Meta following this agency's report. It seems that the report was wanting on the Meta side. The report includes kind of multiple violations and this failure to adhere to privacy rules and guidelines put into place by the FTC as quoted by the agency, posing a substantial risk to the public. Some updates to this 2020 ordinance would be the total prohibition of monetizing data from minors. Meta would not be able to launch new or modified products without this third-party independent assessor confirming that any new features or any new products are in compliance with previous privacy restrictions. It would expand facial recognition limitations and require more disclosures and consent from users. It would also strengthen requirements relating to privacy review, data inventory, access controls. Meta has hit back saying that contrary to the agency's findings, they strictly followed these guidelines for three years. And I think this could be seen by some as a long-awaited push by the FTC to protect users and users' privacy. I think social has been seen as kind of this wild west for some time. And this is kind of a move showing the FTC is willing to push where they see social platforms falling short. As marketers, advertisers, and just users of brands, I think it's important to note that looking at other platforms and other agencies, other governing bodies have seemingly cracked down on privacy. We can look at TikTok and, and its congressional hearing. It could be just an indication of new rules and regulations coming to platforms. 
Interesting. Ankit, do you think these measures go far enough? They're too hard, too strict. Where, where do you think they fall? I don't think you can go far enough when it comes to kids and monetizing and the metaverse and all that stuff. You know, we have an eight and 10 year old and my wife and I get sleepless nights wondering, you know, what's going to happen to their privacy? Like when we grew up, it was a lot simpler in some ways. You know, you just you do your thing. You didn't even understand what privacy meant. But that, you have to start somewhere. I think, and, and I think you can't start soft. You have to start really hard that it takes these services time to catch up and figure out how to go around it because they will. And I think you not only have to go hard based on the current scenario, but you have to assume that once AI and stuff starts getting very deeply integrated into things like the metaverse, it's just going to get worse for little kids. As someone once put it, all this could lead to is lack of control and lack of trust. And that means anarchy. And who on earth knows what that's going to mean for the next generation? So, I mean, I would say keep hacking at it keep getting stricter. Right. So it's almost like get strict now before we even have the technology that could make it worse. Exactly. Yeah, that's all really interesting. You know, Natalie, you you touched on marketers and and advertisers and how they should act here. Do you do you have more to say on on maybe what actions we should take or what what marketers and advertisers should be looking for as next steps? I mean, as marketers and advertisers, we're never looking at, you know, targeting that that under 18 audience. It's enough to just be aware that, you know, these crackdowns are going to come into play across platforms. I mentioned social being the Wild West. I think it's more of just like these platforms have been developing the rules for themselves without kind of governing agencies coming in and, and cracking down. I think we can expect to see more of that, that crackdown setting the rules coming not from the platforms itself, but from the public more so. Yeah. So the FTC is saying there's a new sheriff in town when it comes to the wild west of social media. All right, very interesting. Okay, let's move right along to our first of two AI stories. Ankit, tell us how AI is influencing healthcare. With the chat GPT buzz and all of it, AI is kind of viewed as a future across industries and sectors, most importantly, health and wellness. And this is growing belief that with enough machine learning training and sort of unleashing AI, for lack of a better way to put it, it's really that path to our, our future and future health. And, 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 you know, there was an article maybe a month or two ago in the Wall Street Journal, how AI detected a lung tumor a year before it occurred. So there's definitely a lot of, you know, excitement and promise there. But the thing is, healthcare as a whole is a game of nuances and specialty. There's no one size fits all. You know, for example, you don't just go to one doctor. You go to specialists when you have special things you need. You could be a dermatologist, you could be a cardiologist. And so when it comes to AI, there's this prevailing thought, which is AI is not one single thing. We need to approach AI almost in the manner with which you approach, you know, human development or the way you develop, you train doctors. You start with the fundamentals. You teach them basic chemistry, basic biology, and you train AI to sort of start developing almost that nuanced understanding. And then you throw the data at it, which it can digest and synthesize very quickly. There's a great line that I read in this article, which was basically, we need to strip down AI to understanding atoms first, understand those basics. And you almost have human specialist trainers that work with the AI to train it in healthcare. So you understand nuances because, you know, the human population is incredibly diverse and it goes beyond the data and there's these various elements to it. And so teaching that those basics and enabling it to work with that could really help it reach its potential. You know, I think what's really interesting is, you know, AI is viewed as a solution and an engine. But we almost forget that much like human intelligence, artificial intelligence needs to be built. And it's something that and its impact lies in in its ability to process information. But that needs to be made relevant. And that's when I think it can really help healthcare when it understands specifically what, you know, where it's being deployed. I think as advertisers and 
people sort of leading the charge, like many things in our world in marketing, there's a flavor of the month, right? So everyone's like, well, what can I do with chat GPT? And I think we need to stop thinking of it as a trend or solution. We need to have a long-term view as opposed to here's not something we can do next year. You know, no, where, what is the end goal for this? It's more than a chat tool. You know, the word chat and chat GPT is so misleading. It's not like the new substitute for messenger. There's something more to it. Like, I think we need to think of building AI as an infrastructure for clients, as opposed to just a one-time tactic and service. You touched on something really interesting and it's funny, right? I think people will assume that chat GPT is like going to go the way of NFT and it'll sort of, it'll be sort of a flash in the pan and, you know, we'll move on from it. But what you're saying is that there actually could be long-term uses for AI and we don't even, we haven't even scratched the surface of where it can go. That's exactly it. I mean, if you think about that, if you show an engine that can synthesize machines, you know, you show an MRI of someone who developed cancer, but then you show them similar MRIs a year or six months prior to, this, this machine is nuanced enough to pick up signals that we may not pick up. So yeah, you do it right, you can go very far. Right. So I always think whenever these these big technologies come out, right, how do we apply them? How will we use them in our day-to-day life? So Natalie, I'm curious, you know, we've we've there are rumors circulating around about Apple building an AI health coach and other brands getting on board with AI. How do you think marketers should approach this AI technology? Should we be intrigued, cautious, should we go all in? Where should we be? I think we should be open to AI. I think that, like Ankit was saying, it brings this like huge world and these huge capabilities to our clients and to us as marketers and advertisers in just making our lives and helping us develop the best work that we can develop. And so I think that, you know, leverage it in the right spaces. And I don't really think we're in this world of proceed with caution anymore. You know, AI can ring some alarm bells for people. I think it's a tool that you know, everyone should be open to using. It's just going to become more and more integrated into our world as marketers and advertisers. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting. Almost like 30 years ago when they started implementing computers and hospital systems and electronic health records and everyone was freaking out. Oh, my God. You know, it's living in a machine. Yada, yada. I think that's similar with AI now, except it's in a different generation. So I think done right. Like we have to move along. We have this tool that could save thousands and thousands of lives when there is a doctor shortage looming. Why would we not do that? Absolutely. Well, let's move right along to our second of two AI stories and our second of two meta stories. Natalie, tell us about meta doubling down on AI recommendations in feeds. Yes, so Meta has shared some insights on how it's continuing to leverage AI, specifically as it relates to our in-feed recommendations. So think following suggestions, explore page, etc. Meta announced that on its platforms, it is tracking to double the content and users' feeds that's coming from AI recommendations. Meta stated that today it looks like about 20% of users' in-feed recommendations are coming from AI. On Instagram, that jumps up to 40%. Meta said that it's aiming to reach 30% of recommended content coming from AI. So what does this mean? Essentially, Meta is kind of aligning itself with how apps like TikTok are structured. TikTok's algorithm focuses on individuals and individual posts instead of who you are following or tangibly connected to. 
Meta highlighting and leveraging AI to highlight this more categorical kind of content is a move towards an algorithm that looks a little bit more like, like TikToks. This is also another look at how AI is continuing to change and evolve the social landscape. And it's another step that Meta is taking to eat some of TikTok's entertainment share. That's a common topic that we have on this podcast is how are other platforms looking to TikTok and looking to emulate how TikTok is, is kind of reaching the masses. And I think it's important to understand how our audiences across platforms are being served information and suggestions and understanding the capabilities that AI has to offer. You know, we talk a lot about the show on like the algorithm and the behind the scenes of what goes on in some of these apps, but I don't think we've ever drawn the connection between the algorithm and AI. And the 40% in feed recommendation really jumped out to me. I'm curious, Ankit, how much more do you think Instagram can go and how much more can they know about us in these algorithms, Instagram, TikTok? When is it too much? Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm considered old school. Like I already think they know too much. You know, the stuff that shows up, like I could mention a pair of shoes right now and it's in 20 minutes, it's going to be on my Instagram feed. Like, I think here's what I think it is. It, information is overwhelming. And I think perhaps what it could be is if you're using machine learning based on just a social graph, is there something around more interesting stuff? Like you already know everything about me. Maybe try guessing what I'll find interesting as opposed to here's what you spoke about now. So now I'm going to show it to you. I don't know. That makes sense. It does make sense. I think you're absolutely right. Surprise me sometimes. You know, if I if I click on something, then it doesn't mean that I'm obsessed with that. Also, while I'm here, I just want to say I just bought a bag on Instagram. And instead of Instagram knowing that I bought that bag, now they show me more of that bag. And I'm like, I already bought it. Like, I don't need two of that bag. I bought it already. Show me other things now. Let's move on. All right. Let's take a breath. Let's just move on, friends, shall we? All right, let's move on to our fourth thing. Ankit, talk to us about the importance of social connections when we talk about fighting loneliness and depression and things like that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this was one of the most eye-opening things I've read in recent memory. You know, the Surgeon General basically put out a call for action saying the U.S. is in the midst of a loneliness and isolation epidemic, which impacts over 50% of U.S. adults, which, you know, just think about that for a second. In just this chat, one out of the three of us is feeling lonely. Like just just that fact is it, it, to me is shocking. And I think what was interesting is it's this is something they say predates the the COVID nineteen pandemic. And you know the impact of this is not just you know mental health, which obviously is very directly linked to how you feel, but apparently there's a risk of premature death, like cardiac issues, because you don't have endorphins, you don't have this like hormonal reaction, and you know the happy hormones that need to come from meeting people and going out and, and sort of uh, uh, socializing. And so, you know, he's recommending like governments need to increase opportunities for social interactions, bring people together, community events, you know, the things you typically do uh, in the summer need to come back. People need to be brought together. That sense of community needs to be established. And why I think this is interesting is we all talk about, oh, there's over-connectivity, there's too much social media, everyone's on Instagram, you can reach anyone anytime. But I think it's sort of we've over-indexed on that thinking. And there's a deep, deep, I think, misunderstanding as to what social connections mean. It is not pinging your friend on Instagram or liking the post or knowing what they're up to. It's actual connection, conversations, meeting, like physical interactions, going to a bar, going to a restaurant. And I just, you know, count me guilty is I would have thought loneliness is the last thing people feel because there's access to so much so much social networking and connectivity online. But that's not true. You know, eventually technology is not going to substitute for 
good old fashioned hanging out over a cup of coffee or, you know, meeting a friend for a quick drink on a Friday afternoon or something like that. You know, we assume we are connected, but the reality is stark. And, you know, the concern is it's just get going to get worse and worse and worse as the as the social media generation comes into being thinking that is normal, right? I think that's the concern. And as marketers, I mean, geez, where do you start? Like the opportunities are massive. Let's become drivers of connectivity. Let's help brands become that conduit that brings people together, that brings team together, that brings different, you know, in healthcare, you know, brings everyone together outside of healthcare. We drive social connectivity and social content, which means we actually are in the best position to fight this epidemic. Like, Marketers should be on the front line. Should we shape perceptions? That is what we do. We change behavior. And I think we should be the ones uh, doing that and leading the charge towards solving it. Like, who better than Gray to do that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And Tank. And Tank. <laughs> Sorry. Gray and Tank. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Uh, no, I, I think this is a, a really interesting topic. You know, we talk about social media on this show, but the show is called This Week in Social, right? And so social has a huge umbrella that it encompasses. And so I think this this story is really important as we talk about being social and having connections in the world and and just being a person in the world and communicating with other people is a big it's a big thing that I enjoy as an extrovert. Um, so Natalie, I'm going to ask you now, what in this story jumped out to you? What was surprising? What was interesting? I mean, I think that just real tangible health implications of loneliness is is really scary. And it just makes you pause and think, I mean, like you were saying, social media is this great space for, you know, connection, like in these, you know, small, you can find your small niche groups that people worldwide that you're connected to. And we see it as this form of kind of mass connection, but there isn't that substitute for, you know, real in-person connection with people. And how as marketers and advertisers, how are we going to push our brands to to be that? I love what you said, that conduit for connectivity. Yeah, there's a reason we at Gray call our group the social and connections team. So, you know, all of those things are equally important and go hand in hand. All right, friends. Well, let's move on to our fifth and final thing for the day. We talked a little bit about this app last week, but I want to dive a little deeper and ask the question, are blue skies ahead for blue sky? If you haven't heard of Blue Sky yet, well, Natalie, why don't you break it down for us? Yes. So Blue Sky being dubbed a quote, quote, decentralized social media platform, also being supported by Jack Dorsey, Twitter founder, has launched in its beta version. Users are kind of seeing this as a potential rival to Twitter. Joey's slashing his beta version. (laughs) Users are seeing this as a potential rival to Twitter. Right now, the platform visually appears to be in line with original Twitter UI. And a senator on sharing fun posts capped at 300 characters per post. Uh, the platform doesn't currently have any DM capabilities or video functions. And it uploads posts chronologically to a what's hot feed, showing posts that users are engaging with uh, regardless of, their, of who they're following. And I think it's also important to note that the platform does not have a verification system. While the app is in its infancy, conversations revolving around the platform are generally pretty positive in sentiment. People using the app say that it's you know being used for more fun, lighthearted messaging, and it's being built with an aim to create this kind of uncensored but diverse welcoming space. An obvious question is like, is this eating into some of you know Twitter share followers or users that have left Twitter following the advent of Elon's Twitter? And it seems that it could be that space for these new, fun, lighthearted conversations. Right now, users can add their email to a waitlist for the beta version of that. 
It's interesting. It's a great app. It's a great space. There's a great vibe right now. I mentioned last week that I am a beta user and yeah, I've really been enjoying it. You know, I, I find myself clicking there instead of tapping over to Twitter quite often. Ankit, what do you think the potential for Blue Sky is? Are you optimistic that the founders and creators can get this right? It's tricky, right? Because I think the intent always starts with, you know, you always start with the right sort of intent in some ways. But I think where it gets lost is, okay, when you blow up, you become bigger, you start getting interest, you start getting used, you move beyond a beta release, where do you go? I mean, the intent seems fine. I think it could it could serve as a nice reprieve from where everything else is gone. But I don't know, I guess TBD. I unfortunately don't have a strong enough opinion. I'm just like, okay, let's see where this goes. There's the right people have the right intent here. But I don't know, call me skeptical or cynical. I think that's absolutely right, Ankit. Natalie, what else do you want to say about Blue Sky? I mean, Ankit, I think like you're exactly right. It's hard to not be skeptical. Like we've seen so many of these these apps come about. I mean, Mastodon is one that comes to mind, but where it was like, maybe are they going to eat Twitter share? Maybe are they going to become like the quote, quote, new Twitter? And who knows if we will see a quote, quote, new Twitter. But yeah, I think it's it's hard to not be skeptical. It's not kind of like approach it with a little caution. I would just say, you know, for the folks who are back there creating Blue Sky is... Just create Blue Sky. Don't try to create Twitter. Just do your thing and the people will come. Well, that does it for us this week. If you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, review us, like us, or write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, or just send us a thing you want us to discuss. You can do all of that by emailing us at podcastsatgray.com. Of course, I want to thank our panel, Ankit and Natalie. And as always, I want to thank Samantha Geller, Amanda Fuentes, and the crew at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. On the next episode of Gray Matter, a podcast about idea, we welcome Natalie Walton, a late stage co-founder of Expectful, a meditation app and platform for mothers and expecting mothers. Natalie talks about how she went from an Expectful user to advisor to CEO. Natalie's story is the perfect listen for all parents as she speaks candidly about balancing parenthood with being a business leader. Check out Natalie's story or any of our past episodes of Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, wherever you find this podcast. That's it for us this week. Thank you, listener. And please, as always, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Samantha Geller. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Amanda Fuentes and Guy Rose Marin. With post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by Christina Hyde and Adrian Hopkins. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com. <laughs>